Hello again, everyone. Welcome to Red and White Authority. I'm Art Regner. This is episode 95. Uh, of course, the uh, Red and White Authority brought to you by Labatt Blue. It is the official Canadian beer of the Detroit Red Wings. Whether it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it's always time for hockey and always time for Labatt Blue. Remember, those limited Labatt Blue and Labatt Blue White Detroit Red Wing cans are still available. Get them while they're cold. And remember, always drink. Labatt Blue Premium Beer responsibly. So let's bring in our guest. And I've been looking forward to doing this one probably for years. I'm pretty sure he has not. But uh, Red Wing defenseman Mike Green joins us. Mike, thanks for doing this. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, I'm going to start off a little different. Usually because this is your first time on, we usually go back to, you know, being a boy and how you got started in hockey and all that. But a couple of years ago, I had followed your career. I know I've told you this before. And I started talking, you know, I, I was looking forward to meeting you and actually talking to you. You know, I'd seen you in interviews. I saw a long piece of what I've told you about, which was really uh, back in the day when you were a Washington Norris Trophy finalist and all that. They, they, I don't know if it was ESPN, it goes to show you how long ago it was. But it, I, I walked away thinking, wow, this guy. He's got something going on. He's a complete person, and I don't mean that negatively uh, against other players. So when I talked to you, I asked you about Detroit. Mm -hmm. And because for most of your career, the Red Wings were not in the uh, Eastern Conference. You didn't play them very much, and you come here. And I walked away thinking, wow, he seems to have bonded with this community. And it was genuine. I mean, a lot of times guys will say, oh, yeah, I'm great. it's great to be here. I really love it. But when you're from here like I am, and, you, you know, Detroit has, you know, has its up and downs to say the least. But what was it about this area? I mean, when you came here, how familiar were you with Detroit? And why have you assimilated yourself flawlessly into this, not only this team, but this community as a whole? Well, I, I think first and foremost, the community really accepts you. And, um I think that was huge for us and my wife and I came here and we you know we were excited and whatnot and being able with the Detroit organization with the Red Wings to be able to get out into the community um, especially so often because we do do a lot of charity work um, you really see um, you know how unified the community really is here um, and it's infectious I mean you know we wanted to kind of get really involved and understand the city and the surroundings and um, we tried to do that best as possible, and like I said, it was easy because you know Detroit opens their arms to you. So. You, you're, you, you were in Washington, you know, the nation's capital, or the capital of the United States. Uh, there always is something going on in that town. Obviously, I mean, we've mm -hmm. been there. You know, big big buildings, these massive government structures. How different was it being a capital as opposed to Detroit? You're coming to an original six franchise, as you said, Detroit. I, I've always said that Detroit's culture is probably their sports teams more so. It's not the most sophisticated city in the United States. But w was it a was it a refreshing transition? No knock, obviously, against Washington. Yeah, I, I think it was just different, to be honest with you. Um, you know, when I first got to Washington, um, people really didn't understand or know about hockey. Um, we maybe got, you know, 3,000 to 5,000 fans a game when I first started there. Um, and I was able to kind of see the city grow into a hockey city. Um, not to say that um, that took away from, you know, <laughs> their pride for their other sports teams um, because the Nats and the Redskins are, are still prominently there, 
their um, <laughs> two favorites. So, um, but you know, now with hockey, um, you know, and the Caps winning, I'm sure that the city has really supported them. And um, but but I think you're right with you know what's going on in Washington as far as politics and whatnot. And, um, the media can really get involved in the sports um, in a different way. I don't know exactly how to explain it, but. Um, it's, it's very fine-tuned in what's going on. Um, and here, there's a little bit more understanding of the sport, I think, because, you know, Detroit's been a hockey town forever. The fans understand hockey. Um, they understand the players. They understand um, management and coaching and systems. So um, it, it, I guess it was a breath of fresh air to be reunited with people that understand the game. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, from that from that aspect, mm -hmm. though, you're in Washington, and one of the things that I've always liked that you told me, I think last year when we were talking, you know, you're putting up all kinds of points, and I think the reason why I like you really dating myself when I was growing up, when my first memories of hockey, uh, Gordy Howe was still playing for the Red Wings, uh, but it was Bobby Orr. Mm -hmm. I still think he's probably the best player I can remember seeing. And, you know, when you're a kid, you know, you always latch on to somebody. You have tendencies. You kind of play that way. Uh, Red Kelly, who they honored a couple of nights ago, Bobby Orr before Bobby Orr. So I've always been drawn to that type of defenseman. And you told me that when you were younger, you never thought about playing defense at all. You just felt about the offensive game. Is that an evolution of the sport? Or how did you end up being a defenseman, I guess I'm asking, when you're so offensive-minded, especially back then? You know, I, I think it was just kind of a process of elimination when I was young. I mean, it was just, you know, that was the only spot left on the team, and I had to fulfill it um, if I wanted to play with my friends. Um, so I kind of stuck with defense. I thought about playing forward, and I played, you know, maybe a few games up front, and, um, and I just didn't feel comfortable. Uh, I always felt comfortable on the back end being able to see the ice all in front of me. Um, and, and yeah, and I stuck with it. And, you know, I think then what happens is I think at a young age you really either have sort of, you know, a skill set or a talent. And, um, and at that time, you know, there wasn't really too many offensive defensemen when I was coming into the league. You know, you had like Scott Niedermeyer and um, Rafalski and um, – you know, Phil Housley, at least from what I remember right, and right. what I would watch. But um, it was mostly, you know, six foot three, six foot five, big defensemen. Um, so there, there might have been a need. And when I stepped in, you know, it was kind of a different avenue because I was only six foot and, you know, 200 pounds as opposed to six foot five, 240. So I needed to bring my, my, um, my elements of my game to um, the forefront. When you, when you were growing up in Calgary, mm -hmm. when you were there and you started playing hockey, okay, we under, you've got to, we've got to establish that that was the only right. position for you. You know, that's usually how a lot, a lot of guys play goal. You right. talk to any goalie, it's like, hey, I couldn't it's skate very happened. well. Yeah, right. I'm in the net. Um, so, did you? Were you taught to be offensive, or did you just adapt because, as you said, your size? What made you such a dynamic offensive defenseman? I think, you know, it, I think it, with all, you know, athletes, I think it's, it has a lot to do with coaching or mentoring. And I had a coach when I was really young. I was only my second year playing. I played a summer hockey league. His name was Dave Smith out of Dynastars in Calgary. And he, the one thing that I'll never forget, he told me, he said, you need to be multidimensional. And if you can do that, 
and hone in all your skills in one and, and use it effectively, um, you'll be all right. <laughs> He's like, don't limit yourself to one thing because you can do many. And, um, you know, sometimes I think, you know, with whatever we do, we pigeonhole ourselves into sort of one way. And, and if you're just a defensive defenseman, that's all you are. And if you're just an offensive defenseman, that's all you are. I think that you can kind of use your talents and skills and make it a well-rounded game. And that's what I've been trying to do over the years. I don't think that it's anything special. I think it's just kind of something that was ingrained in me when I was young. And I've never forgot that. When you, so you want to become multi-dimensional. Did you look, when did you start in your own mind charting your own path to the NHL? I think it was kind of when I started to play junior hockey in uh, Saskatoon is when I really started to, you know, get a feel for the game really um, at a much higher level than, you know, the community hockey leagues growing up. And, um, and yeah, and I always felt comfortable getting up the ice and being able to get back and, um, you know, making that first outlet pass. Those were the things that kind of, you know, gave me momentum, I guess, as a player. And so I, I tried to hone in on that and, and hold on to those things that, you know, I felt comfortable doing. Now, we always hear from different players that there were pro players from their hometown or from their area mm -hmm. that maybe as a youngster you got to meet or were you just totally into the Calgary Flames, or pardon me, Calgary Flames at that point, or were you, uh, I'm gonna try to speak, <laughs> I'm gonna try to speak Canadian, uh, but were, you know, I mean, was, was there, was there somebody you tried to pattern your game after? Was there a flame, or, or were you looking to see, wow, this guy, even though he plays in wherever, is, that's kind of the player I wanted. Yeah, um, obviously growing up in Calgary, uh, watching the Flames, um, I mean, Al McKinnis had the big shot. Right. You know, as a defenseman growing up, you wanted to have he the big shot. He broke Chris Osgood's hand twice. Right, right. <laughs> I think he even put the puck through the boards in warm-ups or something, I remember. Um, so, so as far as that, that's, you know, I always wanted to have a big shot and shoot the puck, and I practiced as a young kid um, religiously. And then as I got older and watching more hockey, I, I really, really enjoyed watching uh, Scott Niedermeyer. And I, I think I would say I tried to emulate my game after him. Um, and I had the opportunity when I was about 14 years old to meet him and spend uh, a weekend at his house in Kamloops um, uh, in the Kootenai area in British Columbia. And I mean, that was life changing. I mean, he would tell me stories and he was a really genuine, nice guy. And it was pretty special. So. What did you win? A radio contest or no, something? No, yeah, <laughs> I know. It was, uh, I mean, when you turn, you know, 13, 14, you start to get uh, the agents talking to you. Oh, and, really? Um, a good friend of his actually became his agent that year and he was scouting me I think and he offered me to go up there and meet him so now we, did you go on the ice with him or no, was it just more get to know him? it was just spend some time at his place and you know it was a beautiful property there was a beach and we kind of just hung out we worked out um, we would have dinner and then yeah was he aware of your game at all, or he, was no, he? No, I don't think he even knew or could remember. Because um, when I went to the um, Olympic camp, you know, he was there my first year, and um, you know, I don't think he would remember it was me. So, <laughs> so yeah. you you were hey, Scott, remember hanging out on the beach? Yeah, here, I was right? more quiet, but uh, I didn't I didn't mention it or anything. Um, but yeah. So you're moving you're moving up the ranks. You play in the Saskatoon. Mm -hmm. uh, Recently, and I'm going to be jumping around a little bit because there's so much I want to ask you, and I know we have limited time here today. Um, 
But you talked about the last time the Red Wings were in Calgary this season that much like here in Detroit, uh, not as a one industry town, but the town was going through some bad economic times and that it's bouncing back. Mm -hmm. You seem very, like I said, you're a great citizen here in Detroit. I'm sure you were when you were in Washington. And obviously, you know, you have a lot of compassion and, and you know, your blood is in Calgary. I understand that. Uh, how difficult was it for you to leave that environment and go play hockey? Because the Canadian Western Prairies or the provinces, mm -hmm. they're gigantic. You yeah. know, it's not like Rhode Island or something. I mean, mm -hmm. even though you think, well, okay, he's going from Alberta to you know yeah. Saskatchewan, but they're, you know, you're you're far away from home. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I think you try to help out as much as possible. And um, Calgary was definitely going through a tough time, you know, four or five years ago. Right. Um, but. I think with any city too, you know, and, and you see it with Detroit, how resilient, you know, people can be and, and the economy can be and um, no matter how long it takes, it bounces back and Calgary's got a lot of good people and um, I think they've done a great job of um, restoring um, the energy in that city and uh, I think the Flames have definitely helped out with that, creating a good team and people to get excited for. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I you try to help out as much as possible and donate and um, be Do you supportive. have foundations? Do you have, to, have you established anything there? Or? Um, within my little community that uh, I live in just outside of Calgary, um, yes. Yeah, yeah. we work with the kids out there and we throw events and actually the, the town and the community itself puts on events and I'll show up and support and give my time and do as much as I possibly can. So are you like the... Um like, are you like the big man on campus, so to speak? No. I mean, is my, is my green kind Absolutely of... Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I think that, uh, you know, there's actually a, um, a curler. I forget his name. He plays on a the, curler? Yeah. Only in Canada. He, he's, he's the one that's got the streets <laughs> named after him in our little town, so... Um, I would There's say, no Mike Green I, I would say he's the big dog. Yeah. No, really. So I, I'll jump back. So, but you have to leave Calgary in order to pursue. And I think this is one thing. And maybe now because people are much more aware of how a young hockey player is developed. But you have to make a decision at a very early age to leave where you're comfortable right. at, yeah. leave your family, and go play hockey. Difficult situation for you, or are you so focused at this point that bam? No, it's definitely difficult. Um, at least it was for me. You know, you're you're extremely young. You're 14, 15 years old. I was 15 at the time, turning 16, going into um, the junior league, and you know, you are living with a completely different family, um, and it can be awkward at first, and you're trying to find your way. Um, but eventually, you do find your way, and um, it didn't take much time. I think that you know, when you're a part of a team, I think it helps. You know, you're you're able to. Um, Get involved and understand the other guys' lives and, and connect and um, and some of those days in, in Saskatoon were some of the best times of my life. So and most rewarding. Yeah, you know, playing junior hockey, uh, we always hear, especially in the Western League and the Ontario League and the Quebec League, which mm -hmm. is the Canadian Hockey League, mm -hmm. the, those three leagues combined, is that it really gives you kind of a taste of pro life. Mm -hmm. That you know you play a lot of games. You're away from home. You're on the bus. You're bonding. All, all of that. Uh, is is that a good experience for you? Would, I mean, would you trade that? And I'm not trying to get into a college hockey right. thing, but you know, obviously, you're a very intelligent man. I mean, did you ever was college a, an opportunity for you? Did you think about it, or were you so focused on the NHL? 
Um, you, I definitely thought about college. Um, I think at that age, it's, it's, a, it's a really big decision, you know, and um, with those two options, it was a little more daunting, I think, at that age to go, you know, to the United States right. and go to school and um, go that route. Uh, I know that within the junior league, you know, you can take a year off and end up going to college if you wanted to. Um, I know that that's not really conducive to, you know, going to the NHL right. in, a, in, a, in a fast pace. But, um, you know, I, at the time I made that decision and um, I'm glad I did. Like you said, I think that the junior leagues in Canada really prepare you for the, the pro league. And, um, and yeah, they, they, they definitely do a good job. It, it's a tough league. It really is, and especially at a young age. But it, it gives you all of the the skill sets off the ice that you need um, to travel and play and um, find your rest and take care of yourself, all these things that, um, you know, are now basically my life. You know, without, without trying to sound corny here, you're kind of a mini pro even back then. Absolutely. I mean, I mean that's Absolutely. exactly what it's doing yeah. to you. Yeah. Uh, you said agents are around, you're 13, 14, all the, when you're starting to, you know, they look at you and say, Mike Green could be, you know, this kid has potential. Did you, were colleges contacting you at that time or were you looking into it or how did that come about? And I know you didn't go to college. I'm just kind of curious. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, we, we hear about, you know, Michigan's offering football scholarships to ninth graders now right. or whatever. Right. I mean, how, was there interest from colleges for you? There was, there was. We had, we had a lot of interest. Um, but I think, too, it's in the, the environment you grew up in, too. I mean, Western Canada is very much, you know, go to the WHL and play junior right. hockey there. Um, which, you know, it's kind of the like minds. We all think alike, and I think that had a big influence on my direction. Um, but it was still my decision at the end of the day, and um, I was really interested in college, and now, now I look back and I always say, you know, I wish I would have went to school or something, right. but it's, in hindsight, it's easy to say that. Really? Was there a particular college that you favored or that you wanted, like North Dakota or something, because it was sort of close to? Uh... Not necessarily, and growing up in Canada, you you don't understand colleges as well, um, I think, especially at, you know, 14 years old. Right. So um, without having, you know, parents or grandparents or, you know, an alumni that has gone to a school that can right. give you some advice. So um, in that sense, that's why I said it was a little bit more daunting. When you, uh, so you're playing junior hockey, you know, you're obviously playing very, very well. Mm -hmm. People are noticing you. you, you know, you're getting the feel that, hey, maybe I can make it in this league. Uh, what was the next step? What was the next progression? Do you, I don't know if you hire an agent, but your draft year is coming up. You know mm -hmm. that you're, you know, you're, you're right up there at the very top with people. Uh, how did that all play out for you? What did you, when did you start to not, your mind not leave junior hockey mm -hmm. per se, but you were looking at that next step? Yeah, it all, it all happened pretty quick, actually. Um, you know, you go to junior and you play and you try to, you know, play well and, and do your best. And then you get to that age right before um, you're about to get drafted, and everything happens quick. I mean, they come out with the central rankings. They, you know, you, there's that um, top prospects game, um, and then before you know it, you're drafted and you're going to your first camp. So it kind of happens very quickly. Um, especially, I think for me, I, I once those rankings came out, then you realize, oh, you know, I guess I am kind of up there and you know, being looked at, and that's when I think things really progressed. And my first camp was right after the lockout, and I ended up staying and playing, so. 
You're you're drafted by Washington mm -hmm. with a pick that they got from the Red Wings mm -hmm. for Robert Lang. Right. <laughs> so, I'm aware of that. Yeah. yeah, I know you are. I'm not sure the fans are. Uh, did you have much contact with Washington before the draft? Did you go through a litany of teams that wanted to interview you? Mm -hmm. Or were you pretty confident that if I'm there, at, I think it was 19, if I'm there at 19, I'm probably going to end up being a capital? I, I, I really didn't know. Um, you go through, I mean, I went through interviews with all the teams. And, you know, some of them you feel good about and others you don't. Um, Washington wasn't one that I was like, oh, that was a great interview, or um, I felt good about that one. I was actually, there was two hotels, and I actually was sent to the wrong hotel, so I was a little bit late for their interview. Oh, wow. And, <laughs> yeah, and then you just think, you know, oh, well, this is over before it even started. And, yeah, I mean, the next day is, um, or sorry, the next month is the draft, and then um, before you know it, you're up on that stage. When you, um... Do you remember your Red Wing interview at all? Uh, I vaguely do. Um, was it Kenny Holland? Yeah, or? it was all the guys, yeah. It was a little intimidating, but it was good. You know, they, so what kind of questions are you? I mean, do they try to throw you off, or do they try to get to know you, or does it depend on teams? Did you walk out of some of these interviews saying, and you know, obviously I don't want you to name these teams, like, God, I, God, I really hope they don't draft me. No. I, <sighs> At least for me, maybe maybe some guys. I mean, um, I was just happy to be drafted, to be honest. And I, I actually kind of snuck into the first round. Um, I was 29th overall, um, and uh, I was very fortunate. Um, I think as any player, and I think Detroit can contest to this, is it doesn't matter whether you go in the first or seventh round. I mean, you look at Detroit's history of, of drafting players and some of their you know, best players and Hall of Famers are drafted in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. So, um, you know, for me at the time, I was just happy to be drafted. And, um, you know, once I got the opportunity, try to do my best to make the league. Now, you get to Washington, and as you said, okay, maybe it's not the kind of hockey environment that, you know, you're certainly mm -hmm. used to. Uh, the adjustment to the pro game, was it more difficult adjusting on the ice or off the ice because at this point and you probably have a little bit money money in your pocket too at this point uh so uh, is is mike green you know trying to balance god i i'm, I'm a young guy i'm like to have fun in washington a pretty big city mm -hmm. so i mean how was the whole transition uh it actually went all right um i think for me mostly i was just trying to um understand the game uh, it's definitely a different game than junior. Um, so it took some time, I, I think, for me. But um, one of the pivotal moments um, for myself, I think, was when um, Bruce Boudreau got hired. Mm -hmm. uh, I had had him for um, – I went down my first year at the end of the season to play in the playoffs in Hershey. And we actually ended up winning um, that year. And uh, he was hired as a coach the next season, and he gave me all the opportunity um, I could possibly – need as a player and I was able to sort of take off from there so so you're in Washington you're playing mm -hmm. you take off rather quickly um, is that because you know you saw opportunity with this team and what needed to be done I, th I think it was I think that's yes absolutely I think I was able to recognize that you know there's an opportunity here for me to step in and play and actually play where it's 
it's not like you're being sent to the minors or you know you're needing to develop down there before because they have enough players that can play right. they were going through a bit of a transition time and um, as a young guy they were looking for guys to step up and um, what also helped too was you know my draft year Ovechkin was there um, the following year Backstrom was coming in so there was a small group of young guys that we kind of you know were able to bond and and really try to step our games up as as young guys. When you uh, so you you know Boudreaux, you know he's mm -hmm. familiar with you. He has confidence in you, which is which is a big thing. He knows what you're capable right. of doing. To have somebody like that in your corner, who's the head coach, obviously helps you out a lot. Yeah, it gives you a great deal of confidence, um, which you know is is everything. I think as a player, you know, as long as you're confident, you're you're able to go out and do what you do. And every player is. I think in this league is here because they have an amazing skill set or talent or ability to to play the game at a high level but um, sometimes the difference is whether they know that they can do it and feel confident enough to do it and Bruce Boudreaux gave a lot of us young guys that opportunity. You know it's kind of weird um, Alex Ovechkin just passed mm -hmm. Sergei Fedorov as yeah. the number one Russian yeah. scorer in NHL history Obviously, um, Andrew here and myself, Andrew Kristoff, uh, our producer, you know, Sergey, obviously, I mean, I know he played for other teams, but he's a Red Wing mm -hmm. and maybe one of the best. I talk about Bobby Orr. I mean, Sergey's right. right up there. I know that, you know, Sergey spent time with Washington, but I want to ask you about when the Russians were here, even the Russian five, the knock against them were they did not care about winning the Stanley Cup. Obviously, with the Capitals winning it and the I think, you know, Alex Ovechkin still, I don't think he's given it up yet, right? He, he, I think he drives to and from the rink with the cup still. I mean, he really embraced it. I mean, what was it like because you're now being assimilated into multicultures, you know, hockey rooms, especially at the NHL level, you got guys from all over the world here. What was it like stepping in a room with, at that point, a pretty young Alex Ovechkin who probably had that stigma that some of the Red Wing Russians did that they're just in it for like, I don't know, the fame, the fortune, whatever, but they're not really in it to win. Yeah, and I think that gets a little bit misconstrued at times is, um, is with certain players or whatnot, you only see part of them and, and that's on the ice. Right. Um, you know, playing with Alex um, and knowing him quite well is his passion for the game is um, bar to none. I mean, he loves to play the game. He loves to score goals and he wants to win. And um, sometimes maybe he doesn't show it in the right way or he hasn't in the past or whatnot, or people have thought that at least. But uh, that's one thing that I do know about him. When you, just it, it, what sets him above other players? I mean, you're, you're in that elite class too, Mike. You really are. I mean, is it just desire? Is it just drive? Is it God-given talent? Is it a combination? Because you know when an exceptional player is out on the ice that, Boy, this guy, you know, this guy's got it. He's good. Yeah, and I, th I think it's just really tailoring what you do well. And you know what he does well is he, he scores goals. He's got a great shot, and he's able to find those areas that maybe most guys won't go to, or or is it it isn't in the system to go there. Um, which maybe the I don't care comes from that is he goes to those spots, um, but he he knows how to score goals. And I think he got to a point maybe in his career, and I can't speak for him, but he just realized that that's how I what that's what I bring to the team right and I think people needed to accept that and they did and you know then you you build your team around that and you know 
here he is. He's scored how many goals, and he's breaking records. So, how much interaction do you have with him now, or when you're playing the Capitals, you know, the pregame skate or anything? Can yeah. you, you know, you go up to the blue line like you're stretching, and he comes over and he pretends like he's stretching. Do you do you converse at all, or at that point it's just business? Yeah, we say hi. He, he's he's a bit of a a putz on the ice when we're out there together, but uh, I mean, he's just he's just one of those guys that what you see is what you get. I mean, he's always joking around, and, and that's no different on the ice. When you, uh, when the Capitals won it, mm -hmm. and this is a team that, you know, I, I, you know maybe because red's one of my favorite colors or my favorite color. I always like their, that uniform, yeah. you know, and I, I, you know, I've always been kind of aware of Washington. I wasn't a big fan of the U.S. Postal Worker uniform, that blue thing with mm -hmm. the eagle head and all yeah. that stuff, you know, kind of a weird, weird look. Uh, but aside from that, I guess what, what I'm leading to is is when when you're playing and you're playing in a city that's just learning the game and you have a great player like him, you're on the back end, Backstrom, you're starting to get this talent in there. When does it click for you guys that uh, – you know we're gonna we're gonna do well because you know in a strange sense you were kind of like the Red Wings were for a long time. Washington was greatest team that's never gonna win anything. Then they win it and you're not there. I mean you're happy, bittersweet. Uh, yeah. What's going through your mind? I mean that's a good question. It it it, I, it was bittersweet to be honest. I mean obviously being there for so long and going through those ups and downs and not getting a championship um, was tough, but seeing them actually win and providing um, that unity to the community, to all the people that didn't believe, to you know the ownership that was very good to the players, um, and then the players themselves. I mean, they really deserved it, and I think that that's the bittersweet is, you know, I felt happy for them, but it was also a disappointment not being there. Um, but, I mean, it's all, you know, I'm happy here in Detroit, and I think that the same process is going on as far as, you know, building and, and building. These things don't happen overnight. I mean, you know, it's like they were a good team for 10 years before they actually won. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I like to be a part of the process, and, and here I am again in a different environment, and I'm, I'm excited for Detroit's future. You know, you're sitting in your off-season home or anything. I mean, does, uh, does Ovechkin, who... Does he drive up on your driveway one day with the cup and say, come on, Mike, come on, Greener. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> we're you know, we're I, hanging like out. Said, did, did you have any kind of contact with those guys, or did you join? I mean, obviously you're a Red Wing and you're totally right. focused here in Detroit. I understand that. But you know, did, did you attend any kind of functions or anything with these fellows? I, I didn't go over there, no. Um, but, uh, I mean, I was just on uh, the bye week with Backstrom and his family, so we were able to catch up a bit. Um, and then, uh, you know, OV once in a while, send a text to him, you know, when he breaks another record. So, um, but no, I, 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 I wouldn't expect him to share the cup with anybody, to be honest with you. We, we've all. <laughs> he didn't want to give it up, it looks like, right? <laughs> he wouldn't let go of that thing. So, no, yeah. I mean, I, but I think it made people really happy. I, I mean, even if you weren't a hockey fan, because he was so front and center with it, mm -hmm. I think even your non-sports fan said, boy, I'm pretty happy for this guy, and I don't even know who he is. Yeah, and you got to be. I mean, for anybody that gets that opportunity to win uh, the Stanley Cup, um, you can't not be happy for them. Now, I, I wanted to ask you, because as I said, I always followed the Capitals, always kind of rooted for them. Uh, 
you know, once the Red Wings were out or, you know, because they were in different conference. God, mm-hmm. I'd like to see. And, and actually played in the Stanley Cup final against Detroit, mm-hmm. uh, Washington. Uh, but I guess what I'm curious about is is that when you um, – when Sergey gets there, and I'm doing this because Sergey is still, as you can tell from the fan base, he's you know he's a Red Wing, but it seemed people kept saying, and this was from afar, and these are announcers, and I know how they are prone to hyperbole, especially a guy like Andrew here, uh, you know, who won't be quiet during this podcast, but uh, uh, that uh, you know he had a great influence on on Alex. Alex knew who he was; he was very much aware of him, and maybe settled him down and you know we always hear this thing it's the cliche of how to really conduct yourself and be a pro right did did you see that influence on oh ab- absolutely as soon as um sergey got there i mean he, there's very few guys that has a, a presence when they walk into a room um sergey has it and i think he's one of those leaders that leads by example and um you know now playing in detroit i see that he's left an impression here he either got you know the leadership skills that he has um, from Detroit or developed them here. Um, but when he came to Washington, he really left a big impact on that team. And he was only there for a short period of time. Right. But, um, you know, when he spoke, everybody listened. When he played the game, you watched him. I mean, religiously, he just did everything correctly. When you, uh, when, when you get a player of his ilk when they come in, and, you know, was he able to relate to what you were going through? Because he had gone through that in Detroit, too. I mean, it, you know, they, it took a while for the Red Wings to actually become what they were, yet they were so good for so long without, mm-hmm. as you said, not winning. Yeah, and, and you know, I think in the moment, um, you think you're going to win every year. You want right. to win every year. Um, but you, you go through those stints and then you look back at, you know, reasons why you maybe didn't or you just needed to develop a little bit more and mature a little bit more as a team. And um, I think Sergey helped that process speed up. You know, when he was there, I think it helped with Alex. It helped with a lot of us young guys, myself, um, Backy, but not only just us, but the whole team in general. Um, and, you know, he, he really is one of those sort of quiet leaders that you, you just watch and learn. During practice, did he, you know, because he was a defenseman here for a couple of games yeah. where Larry Murphy thought he was going to be a defenseman. And Scotty said the other night, right, Kelly, yeah. he probably, you know, the, the thought here obviously in Detroit was if he stayed on the back end, he could win a Norris Trophy. Uh, did he ever give you any defensive pointers or anything? I mean, he would, yeah. He, he would come and talk to you. And um, I actually think that he played a couple of games on defense, maybe shifts or periods when, when he <laughs> was there. He yeah, I mean, just because he was such a good solid defensive forward and defensive minded player even though he had this incredible talent and skill up front so offensively so i mean yeah he he really sort of had it all to be honest when you uh one final question my russian fixation is over then we'll get back (laughs) uh did you ever block ovechkin's shot or no no practice or even in a, like maybe in a game if you really had to would you say uh, reluctantly or do you I, say yeah you know it's going to go off target i don't need to yeah no you, you i mean as a player you step in front of it for sure um <laughs> which is hard to do and some of these guys you know they eat his shots and it's it's either he breaks your bone or somehow he sneaks it by you um it's that hard but no i i was never in front of the net when he was shooting a I was fortunate enough I was passing him the puck to shoot, right, so right. Um, I didn't have to. Yeah, so yeah, like if you're practicing power play, you're on that unit too. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah I, was, I was not in front of the net, thank I goodness. Mean, you, you got good just out of fear, it sounds like. 
Yeah, I mean, you look at his shot, it's like it comes off his stick so hard. And uh, and now thinking back when, when I used to play against him when, he, you know, it was under 18s and under 17s when we'd go overseas, I mean, he always had that distinctive hard shot and release. And that hasn't changed, and he's really, you know, done well with it. You've developed kind of a chemistry when he made the team last season, as talked about it, uh, with Martin Furk who Dan Cleary says is the hardest shot he's ever mm -hmm. seen in hockey. Uh, I know they're not similar players. I'm not asking you to compare them, but uh, Ferk's shot is, is yeah. it Ovechkin-like? It's very similar. It comes off the stick the same way. Um, it's almost hard to describe, but it's just it comes off so quick and so fast that uh, it, goalies, I mean, I don't know how they stop it or <laughs> even <laughs> attempt to. So, um, But, yeah, in that sense of comparison, I think that they're very similar. When uh, let's get to you know you're in Washington you're going to become an unrestricted free agent. I told you this and I told you this last year I think and you said you sort of weren't aware of it. I know for a fact that they were trying to acquire you for a couple of seasons before free agency. Right-handed shooting defenseman. Uh, you're exactly what they were what they were looking for. That process difficult to leave Washington. Or did you think you know it's probably time just because of where I'm at. And this is my opportunity, you know. I, I, you, you work to win championships, but sometimes when you're in the league yeah. as long as and accomplished as you are, you also kind of play for that free agency, don't you, to a certain degree? Yeah, I, I think it all happened in, in good spirit. I think it was just, you know, I had, I had grown so much in Washington. I felt like I maybe was becoming stagnant, in a sense, as a player and as a person, and. Um, going to free agency would give me an opportunity to grow again. Um, and I knew, I had known that maybe, you know, Detroit and some other teams were interested. Um, and I'm, I'm absolutely positive that that was the best choice for me at the time. I think that being here in Detroit, I've learned a lot. I've been able to grow even more as a player and as a person. And um, I, don't, I wouldn't take that back for anything. Well, you know, what, 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 you know I, behind the scenes, I mean, the, the, you know, you're telling people, and, you know, and this comes from, like, growing up here. Mm. I would imagine if you're not from here or know what southeastern Michigan is really about, when you tell someone, mm -hmm. I'm going to Detroit, do they say, well, you better have, like, an arsenal of guns or you better, wow, you better watch out for yourself. Why in the world would you go there? Was there... Were people questioning your sanity, I guess, is what uh, I'm asking. No, I think because most people that I'm close with or know um, really understand the history of, you know, the team and the organization and the sport in itself. So um, I think a lot of people were excited, um, as was I. So I know there's a stigma about, you know, Detroit and this and that, but um, like we were talking about earlier, the, there's really a sense of, like, unity and community here that um, you don't get everywhere. And I think that's what's special about Detroit. When you, so you had no preconceived, no one pulled you aside well, and said, well, look, it, I mean, listen, you, when, right, they're a great franchise, yeah. but boy, when, that city's uh, kind of rough. Yeah. Well, when we would come here to play, we weren't allowed to leave the hotel. Really? So I was aware of sort of, you know, <laughs> the, the, the sort of mentality of, of Detroit in a sense, but um, no, that, that didn't weigh on me at all with my decision in coming here. Wow, you, so you were like qu quarantined Basically, at the hotel? Yeah, 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 we were told to eat in the, the hotel and not leave and 
that was it. I never really seen Detroit, um, you know, for the 10 years that I was with Washington coming here. So, so your image of Detroit is getting on the bus and seeing the gigantic Uniroyal tire. Basically, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's just the freeway. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much so. Wow. And and the Joe Lewis that was right. But I mean, I, you know, uh, I know this arena is great. I mean, but did you, what was it like being an, an opposition, an opposing player coming to the Joe? I mean, obviously you're playing some yeah. pretty high end teams, but yeah, there there was a great atmosphere, and 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 I remember coming. I used to love coming to play in the Joe. The ice was really fast, and um, obviously playing against Detroit at the time. I mean, you didn't touch the puck. You know, it was like a whole different right. game. You know, it was like you play 29 other teams and nobody was playing like that. You know, it's like you're skating out there and I haven't touched the puck for two periods. So I loved coming here and playing because it was such a challenge um, with the atmosphere and playing against the team. Well, how, how do you get the puck from them, or do you do, I mean, are you resigned to the fact that I hope they turn it over? Basically. And pass? Yeah, because they weren't dumping it, and they were going back and forth, and then they would, you know, if they didn't have a play, they were circling back to generate speed to come back at you. And, um, and yeah, I mean, they, they it was very difficult to play against, or it was just different in a sense. You know, I, I mean, were they, the Russian five, was it more five-man unit hockey than you were, were used to seeing was it was it was it that structure because hockey the pucks bouncing you're playing on the ice you yeah. would think that you have to improvise a lot mm -hmm. but looking back at those red wing teams they certainly seem to be quite they had a very much a self-awareness on the ice absolutely and and as a as a whole i mean it's it's almost like they're all on the same page um and i think when you have that as a team and it differs from you know the expected, um, you can't really predict what you're going to do as a team or play against it accordingly. So it was difficult at times to play against them, but, um, you know, like I said, it was it was a challenge and it was exciting. You know, sometimes I think the Red Wings, you know, they weren't maybe first overall, or I remember one time it was Bruce yeah. Boudreau where the Red Wings were like in third place in the mm -hmm. conference or in their division. And after the game, he said, I don't know how they're in third place, because let me tell you something, they're the best third place team in the entire world in the history of the sport. Yeah. Uh, but then again, that's where the mental aspect comes in. Even though that you're good, you've got to bring it every night. Yeah, you do. You absolutely do. And, and, and that's the hard part in this league is that, you know, we play so much and so often, you know, it's every other night, basically. And to have that every night is very difficult, and the teams that can sort of get on the same page and as a whole usually do a lot better. You know, you, you know, you're you're up for Norris trophies. You're you're you get 70 points a season, which is really impressive. Uh, how do you keep it all real? How do you not look and say, hey, you know, I'm one of the best defensemen in the league? And, and you are. Generate, you're part of a group of defensemen. You're, you're a generational defenseman. I mean, you, you're, your game was, you know, you're, you, it couldn't get much better, especially if on the offensive end. I mean, but, you know, it's great for, for guys like me to say that, and, you know, kind of pat you on the back. But how do you keep it all real? Well, I, I, yeah, that's a good question. It's uh, <laughs> a tough question. I, I think at the time, you know, I was I was very offensive, and um, I didn't really have that balance of defense and offense, and that's something that I think now and sort of post that generation, what you're talking about, right. is what I'm trying to find. I mean, what Nick Lidstrom had, what these other um, Norris trophies, uh, Norris Trophy winners had, was a balance between defense and offense, and you know, I, I've tried to find that. Um, 
and and hone in on finding that balance and it's been it's been hard because yeah it's it's easy to go out there and be the fourth forward on the ice and try to score goals and be up in the rush all the time but um it's hard to do it um at both ends and I'm trying to t I really take pride in, in finding that balance now you know when when you're offered the trophies you're finalists and all that and you don't win mm -hmm. does somebody pull you aside and say look Mike you're going to have to alter your game a little bit if you want to maybe win a Norris trophy or be considered at the very top I mean does somebody have to have a hard decision with you and say look you're great don't get me wrong you really don't have to do anything if you don't want to but I think there's more there and you've got to dig down deep and get it. Uh, maybe I wish somebody would have came and pulled me aside and said that. I think it, it over time I just kind of recognized that um, and began to understand that you know if there's going to be longevity in this league, um, you know you need to have balance. And um, I've been trying to find that and and fulfill that as best as possible. But yeah, I wish somebody would have came and grabbed me and said, "Listen, if you can," and I think maybe that's what. We lacked maybe in Washington was a little bit of that. Um, we had all the free range we could right. possibly get, and sometimes you need that sort of um, criticism or or, or um, guidance, I guess, um, to really fulfill you know your abilities and position. You know, it sounds like to me that you walk into a situation where it's a kind of a new franchise or mm -hmm. hockey's new to Washington right. D.C you have a lot of good high-end young talent yet you don't have maybe the veteran in there who kind of pulls it together mm -hmm. and is that why maybe it took longer probably than it should because you probably you played on teams that you, you probably should have won a Stanley Cup in Washington on some of the teams that you were on yeah. but is, is, is that maybe it that you were kind of a victim of of just being so new I think so yeah I mean you know and when you're getting points and you're winning hockey games, um, you know, nobody's going to really say anything. Um, and then when you don't win the cup, I mean, that's when, you know, everybody says something. So there, if we had a little bit more guidance or, or, or understanding of how to sort of reel back or tone it in or play the game the right way, um, at times, maybe maybe it could have been quicker, but I, I can't say whether it would be or not. You know, I, I actually find that kind of fascinating. I really mm -hmm. do. That you know, I mean, because you know, because that was like the question mark was, God, Washington's great. What's what's going on right. with those guys? Right. But you know, learning how to win and consistent in how to do mm -hmm. it, that is probably the most difficult thing that it, that not only hockey players but a team of hockey players has to overcome, I guess, and learn. Absolutely, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and I, I don't know if there's much more to say about it, but that's correct. When Okay, so now you come to Detroit, who obviously has been around since mm -hmm. 1926, and, you know, you know, Falcons and Cougars, and then finally the Red Wings, mm -hmm. and you walk into this different culture and this different environment, and I think that you understood you were coming in here to a team that was looking for what maybe you didn't have in Washington during your early days, they're looking at you to be that guy, to be that leader, to be that veteran, to, to pull these guys aside and say something. Right. Uh, I, I, and it must be a role, because you do it so well, that you must relish. Well, I recognize it, yeah. And, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, I, I see here, the culture here, um, the, the history, that, that there's a reason why Detroit's been so good for so long. And all teams go through transition stages. Um, as, as we, we've seen a little bit here, but um, I think the process of, you know, it's not a rebuild, it's, a, it's, a, it's basically a slow transition here that's, 
the, the, the culture's here, uh, the talent's here now. It's going to be, you know, this team's going to be really good for a long time, and, you know, it's not going to take 10, 12 years, I don't think, for them to win a cup. Well, well you know, you, you know you're, you're still a young man. I mean, you're, like, in your early 30s. Mm -hmm. yeah, but uh, when you walk in into that role, mm -hmm. do you sometimes sit, when you, you walk in and you sit on your stool or whatever, and it's like, all right, boys, gather around. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. Grandpa uh, here has to say something. I don't know if I'm that kind of leader. Um, I, I wouldn't say I am. I would say more of... Um, Sort of by example, maybe. Um, you know, I, I think with the young guys, you know, you'll give them advice and, and sort of um, guidance, which we talked about. But you, you really don't want to cripple them in a sense or misguide them, especially, you know, all of them at the same time. So I think it's important to watch and listen and then give the correct advice to each. Um, young player coming up. You know, it, it, a lot of the younger Red Wings, because there was a time here when I covered this team that the roster didn't change for like ever. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, they're very few you know, rookies weren't making this team. Mm -hmm. You know, and if a, if a rookie did make this team, you know, they were here for a couple of days and then they weren't here. You know, I mean, they, they were just filling in for a guy that was injured. Um, but and so I guess I'm becoming more aware of what the younger hockey player has, how they've come up through the ranks because Detroit was such a veteran team for so long. I find that they have at times too many people in their ear. You know, from a very early age, they're, you know, whether it's family, friends, agents, right. you know, by the time they get to the NHL level, it's not that they don't want advice, but they, they kind of tune it out because they've been hearing it for so long. Is that what you have to pick and choose your spots that way? Do you feel that way? Is it, are, are they different than you because of the way that they have come into this league, the way they've evolved into being a player? Yeah, possibly. I, I think there's some truth to that for sure. And, and, and I think as an older guy is recognizing that that might have been the case. And and I think for for myself is is I I mean these young guys are here for a reason. They've got incredible talent. They're some of the best young players in the world. Um, I don't. There's nothing that I can say that's going to make them better, a better talent or skill. Um, it's more just developing their confidence and understanding the game quicker, so that you know they become that complete player in a much faster process. And and. And in that sense, then the whole team, you know, will be better in, in, in a short period of time. And um, yeah, I, I don't think that you want to cripple their their skill sets and give them too much information or, you know, their confidence or whatnot. I think it's about just sort of, you know, supporting and, and, and developing it in a, in a more humbling way. I was talking to a veteran player who is appalled that there's iPads on the bench now, mm -hmm. that a guy gets done with his shift and that he's looking mm -hmm. at his shift and his play and all that. And he said, you know, I, I understand that, but maybe that's what you should be doing in between periods. Because if you're looking and you're not watching the game, how do you get into the flow of the game? How do you know what's really going on if you're so obsessed with your iPad? You know, you might, he goes, the next thing they're gonna be having their phones and texting people in between shifts. I, I, I mean, is there too much technology? Is, it, are, is there information overload? Uh, I, I can't say if there is or there isn't. I know that that's the way sort of the game's going. Um, everything's analytics and, you know, stats and information and video and whatnot. But, um, you know, if it's definitely changing the mentality of the game and where that goes, I, I couldn't tell you. But um, I don't think it's a bad thing. I mean, it's... Are it's, you looking at an iPad on the bench? No, I, I don't personally, <laughs> but... Uh, 
because of the same reason what you just said about the flow of the game and whatnot. Right. But you know, once in a while, if you know you you need to see something, I mean, it, it does uh, show a purpose in, in looking and sort of understanding. But um, no, I, I usually don't. During the course of a game, let's say you know a young defenseman on the wings, we won't name anybody, turns the puck over. It leads to a great scoring chance. Possibly, sometimes it might even lead to a goal. Is that where Mike Green kicks it in and says, "All right, on the bench, do you say something to him? Will you say something in between periods, or do you think no one feels worse than him? I'll wait till tomorrow at practice or on the bus or something just to get him aside because I, I I need to settle him down a bit." Yeah, I think I think for me, uh, you know, what I would say in that moment would right away would be you know how many pucks I turned over in the playoffs led to a goal and you know these things happen basically to get his confidence back and then the next day I would you know maybe give some advice about you know maybe off the glass or you know in this situation I would do this or you know whatever maybe can help um, as far as understanding but do, do they do do they seek you out do certain players you know I notice the young guys are a lot quieter than maybe we were as young guys, so um, you kind of have to approach them, but yeah. So you're here in Detroit, you know, team is going through a retooling, as I like to say. Uh, there always is a mindset that the Red Wings, uh, you know, they don't make the, uh, uh, you know, the playoff streak is over. Uh, it's a transitional period. Uh, you have an opportunity maybe to go somewhere else, but you choose to come back here to Detroit and I was on the conference call when you signed with the Red Wings again. And you basically made it sound like, I didn't really want to go anywhere. I understand what's going on here. And I really, I really like it here. Mm -hmm. Yet, I, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking to myself, wow, that's great, number one. You know, because you know, even though there, there might have been critics saying, God, why would, why would they sign Mike Green again? They don't have a Mike Green on this team. They need Mike Green. And I think the record with you in the lineup and, 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 and Danny, too, proves why you're needed. But you didn't have any inkling about, I could probably go to maybe a team that's in a little bit better situation than the Red Wings, or was it always the Red Wings? Because that conference call, you made it sound like mm -hmm. season's over. I'm calling Kenny and saying, let's just get this done. Yeah. No, no, there – I mean, I, I can't tell you that there wasn't a thought about something, but no, like I knew that I was coming back to Detroit and I wanted to. Whether that manifested or not, I wasn't positive about it. I didn't know for sure, but that is what I wanted. And I was fortunate and happy that it did because I do feel that, you know, you know, you look at other teams, you can't pick to go somewhere and win a Stanley Cup anymore. I mean, right. you look at Tampa a few years ago. It's they not were the NBA. They were out of a playoff spot and now you know they've done really well right. and they've they're a, a good hockey team right now so and that was a matter of you know two three years so in my I, I, I didn't see it that way where I was going I wanted to go somewhere else to try to you know win or I, I know that this is a good culture here I know that there's something special here they we are going through a bit of a retooling like you said I like that and it's not going to take long I mean and, and as much as I can do to help and um, enjoy myself playing hockey, and that's it was an easy decision for me. Well, oh, you look at it, uh, Dennis uh, Chalowski uh, makes the team. Mm -hmm. He was the one when they looked at like the four guys that you know, because the Red Wings are obviously you said they were going to add some people pieces to the blue line this year, or at least attempt to. 
Dennis was the one that everything out. He'll be in Grand Rapids for the year. He's the one who actually makes the team. He is almost embarrassed to admit that he's a huge Mike Green fan. And he can't believe he's sitting next to you in the room. Uh, what is your dynamic with him? Because he really patterns his game after you. Well, I didn't know that. So <laughs> thanks for uh, letting me know. Oh, really? But, but <laughs> Sorry, you know, Dennis. Dennis is a very... Uh, composed um you know sort of gentle young man that you know you see his composure on the ice too i mean when he handles the puck he's got incredible patience he makes a great first pass he's got you know the skill set up at the offensive blue line that he can get pucks through he's got a great shot he's got all these tools and um i think for me uh, over the course of the start of this season i've just tried to watch and listen to what you know he's saying so now i'm starting to give him a little bit of advice and um, and and try to help sort of, you know, get him to be the most confident, young, best defenseman in the league. I mean, he really has the ability to do that, and, and I hope he does. Does he call you Mike or Greener or Mr. Green? Probably. No, Dennis no, probably calls no. you Mr. Green, I would imagine. No, he just calls me Greener. I think that's pretty standard. So, <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, when I tell you something like this, and I mm -hmm. thought that you, you knew this because he – he said this like right at the beginning of the season, pretty much. I, you know, I'm on a team with Mike freaking Green. I can't believe it. Um, does it make you feel old? Does it make you feel good, or does it? <laughs> or I'm or, starting are to you feel older and older yeah, as, as the years go on, for sure. Even though I'm still relatively young, um, maybe not in the league, but yeah, I mean it. it yeah, it is kind of strange, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, now you've got another guy in Philaronic who's been in and out of the lineup, who's a little bit older than mm -hmm. Dennis, not much. Uh, you know, is is that somebody too that because you know you're here as mm -hmm. you know only to play great hockey, which you have been doing, but to be kind of a mentor, you understand your role, or is it more difficult because? You know, English is not his first language. I mean, has, has that been an adjustment, I guess, over the, over the years for you, too, is where, you know, you, you think like a North American, let's say, mm -hmm. uh, you know, an American or a Canadian, basically, sorry, Canadians, but they're kind of essentially the same mindset a mm -hmm. lot of times. Mm -hmm. um, you know, has that been a difficult thing, is, is, is trying to mentor someone when you know that, God, I'm saying something to him, and I know it's going in one ear out the other because he just doesn't understand. Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, when we, when I first came in the league, I, I actually roomed with Nick Backstrom. Oh. And at that point, we didn't have our own rooms. So <laughs> we would room together. And, you know, that was something I think I learned how to do was get past that language barrier with him. You know, I, so at times he would ask questions, and, like, I didn't understand, or I would ask questions he didn't understand. Um, so we were able to communicate on, you know, a different level that um, maybe now is helping me communicate with some of these guys that are younger that have, a, you know, speak a different language. And, and maybe and because I know with, you know, at least Nick, how uncomfortable he was coming over here and how embarrassed he was speaking English. And um, you don't have to feel that way. And that's what I tried to implement into our relationship was you don't have to feel uncomfortable at all. And. And I think with these young guys, they, they might feel that. And it's just about breaking that down, essentially. Do you think when you look at, as I said, and I, I know you're uncomfortable when we, when we keep bringing this up, and we bring it up a lot, the Red Wings record with you in the lineup as opposed to when you're out of the lineup. 
Uh, and I know they keep saying it's a younger league, a young man's league. It's getting younger by the, by the millisecond here. Yet, do you look at what you're able to do, which, it, you know, maybe to, to tell fans or people that look at the game, it's got to be a mixture. You need veterans. You need people that have experience. You know, I, I mean, I may not be, you know, putting up 70 points anymore, but trust me, I know how to play this game. You, you know, is it, you know, you can't beat experience, I would imagine, in, in no matter what you do in life, whatever your chosen profession is. If you've been down that road, chances are you know how to react. Yeah, I think that's, you know, with any, you know, industry or company I mean you have to have the experience within it and um, you know I think the balance and the hard part is is the experience and then the, the speed of the game now I mean it's it's incredibly fast because there I think it is getting a little bit younger um, but th that experience is something that you can't take away from how important it is to um, not only winning hockey games but playing consistently um, every night have you ever been on a team that suffered so many injuries to the blue line like the Red Wings did? I mean, nothing against the rookies who had to step in, and they did an admirable job. But, I mean, this has been kind of a strange season. As soon as you seem to be getting healthy, somebody goes down, yeah. and especially to the one specific position, which is defense. Yeah, yeah. no, it's been, it's been definitely a little bit strange um, and uncommon. Uh, but that, I, I think that's this league. I mean, that's the hardest part is staying healthy at times. And um, all it takes is one shot off the foot or hand, um, you know, or immune system gets low and you get sick. So, I mean, it's a variety of things. But unfortunately, it sort of seemed like it all happened at the same time here. And um, hopefully that's sort of gone now and we can just focus on everybody being back. Well, the theme now is is the process. You know, mm -hmm. Lash has always said the process to, to a point of where I, mm -hmm. I bring it up with some players and they kind of start laughing a little bit because mm -hmm. he says it a lot. Yet, the process was what everybody has been talking about. The last 17 or 18 games, the process has clicked in with this team. You mm -hmm. all are on the same page. Is I look at it as a maturity level of the younger players, of them stepping up and understanding and maybe not getting flustered, not being up by two in the third and, you know, before you know it, you're down. I mean, I know there's, you know, everyone has a little snafu here and there. Why Are you very comfortable with where this team is at? Whether they make the playoffs not or this year, but that it is starting to germinate, so to speak, that, you know, you guys are, are starting to be in a good place. I think absolutely, yeah. And I think the key word there was maturity. I think that the team's really, you know, they, they, some of the young players had to step up into significant roles, and they've done a good job of that. Um, and being in those roles and ex having that experience is only going to, you know, we're only going to build off that. And I think because, you know, we're going through the retooling and the transition, we're, we're needing to rely on those guys a lot more. You know, you don't have, you know, Datsuk and Zetterberg anymore and, um, you know, a plethora of other players that were experienced and veterans. So um, with that being said, yeah, I think that the, tr the maturity has really grown and that's only going to expedite, you know, this team becoming a really good team in a short period of time. You, you know, Anthony CU definitely has, has taken another step. Uh, you know, Mantha... You know, who's probably one of the most honest players I've ever met. You know, he'll tell you, yeah, I was bad today. I got to be better. But I, I want to focus in on Dylan Larkin for this reason. He's from Detroit. Mm -hmm. He 
wants to be that guy. He knows what the Red Wings have been. Uh, what is it like when you have a guy who's 22 years old who has decided in his own mind that this is my team? I'm, I am the guy. I mean, that's pretty – is that extraordinary for a guy at 22? Um, is he mature beyond his years, or is he just so young he really doesn't know what he's getting himself into? <laughs> no, I, I, I think that, that Dylan is very, very driven and um, has an incredible passion for the game, and he really is a student of the game. He wants to learn everything he possibly can. And I think now he's, he's at that point where um, he, he recognizes an opportunity and he's a, he's a player and, a, and a, a personality that wants it. And I think that's great, to be honest with you. And the quicker that can happen, I think the better off. And at the end of the day, it's a great thing. You know, you've seen this team, you're, you know, you're, you're obviously not at a development camp, but at a training camp, you see some of the young prospects. Uh, yeah, I don't know how, how aware of you are of what's going on with, you know, with like in Grand Rapids or following or what the Red Wing philosophy is. I mean, you're a player, you're, you've got other things to take care of, but you, you know, it sounds like you're pretty encouraging. You like the direction where the franchise is right now. Yeah, I, I absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, like we talked about earlier, I mean, you could, you could take a lot of steps backwards um, and it could take a long time to get back to being, you know, an incredible team, but you're starting to see it really quickly. I mean, it's only been two years, you know, since um, they hadn't made playoffs and we hadn't made playoffs. So it's, it's happening quickly. And I think that's the exciting part about it, about it all is that, you know, it's, it's on its way. You know, trade deadline coming up, unsettling time in the room for you guys, or, you know, I've had so many players say, you know, we can't control what management does, mm -hmm. but what we can control is we can make their job tough because if we're playing well, it's more difficult to trade somebody if the team is playing well right. as opposed to when the team isn't. It seems that you fellas are kind of hitting it at the right time if you want to stay together as a group. Well, I think we all want to stay together as a group, and it is a difficult time during the season, during trade deadline, um, especially when you know players end up leaving. But uh, you know, like you said, I mean, that's the only thing we can control at the, at that time is how we play, and and we'll do our best to make sure that uh, we don't give them a reason to get rid of us. All right, final couple of questions um, in this documentary or little feature that they did on you many many years ago, which I brought up to you now probably more times than you want me to um, you know I told you this and I'm going to tell you again I walked away thinking wow this Mike Green's a pretty cool guy he would have been a great hippie um, are you kind of an alternative kind of guy in a way I mean you, you know I mean the tattoos that you have are, are like completely impressive and I don't know if they tell a story or or you know and I know that's a real personal thing so if you don't want to talk about them you certainly don't have to but you just seem to have a quite a, quite a balance and I don't know um, steadiness in your life I mean you seem to be you know, you absorb things. You you're analytical. You figure it out, and you're you're like at peace. You always seem to be at peace with me. Is that a fair assessment? Oh gosh, uh, you know what? I, I I do have a lot of interests that um, that I'm very curious about, and I think curiosity is great. And um, I don't know. I I I guess you know, 
hockey's such an intense and, and, and emotional um, sport that it could take a lot of could take a toll on you at times. And I think that being able to have balance outside of the game really kind of puts me in a better mind frame of when I get to the rink. And um, yeah, and, and I, I think that what you said about observing things, I, I really like to observe and listen and learn new things. So I think that's led me down other paths that uh, has sparked my interest. And maybe that's what you're seeing. I'm not sure though. Is there, is there, is there a, uh, do you have like a, like a hobby or something? I mean, when you, you know, when, when Mike Green has a little bit of alone time, when you're, you know, you're not hanging out with your son or your mm. wife or, you know, family, when Mike Green walks away from all of it, do you have like a private room where you paint or anything, or is there is there is there something that you do that um, maybe that uh, we just don't know about? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I, I bounce around a lot. So when I was you know in Washington younger, I would actually you know rip apart old motorcycles and rebuild them into something else. And and to do that, uh, to completely redesign, you I had to learn how to weld, and um, you know the bikes always got to a point of just finishing, but they didn't. Um, and then, you know, now I think as I get older and with a kid, um, right now I'm in architecture, so I'm learning how to draw and um, understand that field. And it's just stuff that I guess that you're interested in. Why not um, pursue it in a sense, yeah, and learn about it. So I guess when you go back to your hometown, you're going to design the building that they're going to name after you. <laughs> no, I, there won't be any building named after me, that's for sure. <laughs> no, <laughs> there, come on now, Mike. But I, mean, I would love to design a building one day, yeah. Really, really? Sure. I mean, so yeah, that's, uh, yeah. you know, Michigan has a great architecture school. Yes, I know that. Yeah. Yeah. You, could, you, you, could, you could probably go there. I, I know that it endear you even more to Dylan and, uh, and Luke if you, know, if you decide to enroll at Michigan's... Uh, oh, I'm sure it would, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. so um, yeah. All right, uh, one final question. Kind of a personal question. These tattoos that you have, do you is, do you get one every year? Do, uh, are you done? Is, was that something that you did when you were in your twenties? Mm -hmm. I mean, how? I mean, because it's extraordinary. I mean, you have a lot of ink and it's impressive. Hmm. Yeah, it was mostly when I was younger, um, but uh, I, I, I kind of get the urge at times to get a new one here and there. I think that I'm starting to feel it again. So who knows what's going to happen in the next couple summers? So. I mean. You know, it's none of my business, but aren't you running out of room? I mean, no. <laughs> at least on my arms, I am. That's pretty much the only place I have them. So. Oh, really? Yeah. So you, you're not the illustrated man? No, yet. no, no, not yet. No. But it, you could be someday. Ah, uh, as long as everything's symmetric on my body, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you think about when you get older what they're going to look like? No, I, I could care less. Yeah. Well, yeah. By that time, you probably won't even be aware of it. I no, and and. No, I, I, I have no thoughts about it. And I'm not worried about it. If somebody's going to look at me and judge, then I don't care. <laughs> really? Yeah, wh why would you? you know, right. You're Mike Green. You played in the NHL. Screw it. <laughs> I don't see it that way, but yeah. <laughs> Mike, thanks for joining us on the Red and White Authority, episode 95, uh, presented by Labatt. I can't thank you enough. I've been looking mm -hmm. forward to this for a long, long time. Uh, it looked like, you know... Actually, let's. How long have we been looking forward to this? This should have probably been like episode seventy-three or something. But, <laughs> yeah. but, but, but it took to ninety-five. Thanks. Best of luck. Uh, you know, I hope you remain here in Detroit for the rest of your playing days, and then you know, step right into coaching or go to U of M's uh, architecture school. But nothing but the best. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you.